Welcome to our Imaginations Church podcast. Today, we are so blessed to have Dr. Patricia Werakun join us to talk about sexuality. She has been an academic with the University of Sydney for over 25 years. She's been the director of a graduate program in sexual health. She's an author, a well sought after speaker, and she is really passionate about God and about relationships and sexuality. So enjoy as we hear from Dr. Patricia. Yes, we're going to start our panel and um, asking a few questions of you, Dr. Patricia. And I've asked a few friends from, from our team to be able to ask just on behalf of different um, seasons of life, you know, that we go through to ask a few questions each. So I just thought to start off the panel, um, it'd be really good to just hear from you just basically um, what is God's design for our gender, for sexuality? There's a lot that gets talked about in the world and um, in the current times, but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Well, thank Your you, thought. Melinda. I'll give you the quickie version here because I can obviously go on forever. You see, the word today is one where we hear the message that God has nothing really, the word of God, the Bible has nothing to say about sex other than just don't do it. And God is some kind of a, a bigot, a kind of a killjoy. Now, that could not be further from the truth. Now, I'm a sexologist, and if you don't know what a sexologist is, a sexologist is basically somebody who studies about sex, writes about sex, reads about sex, talks about sex, teaches about sex, does sex therapy. Now, that doesn't leave a lot of time for practical work. That's why my son says he's an only child. Now, when, when, when I speak about the Bible, the whole Bible speaks to the beauty. Come with me to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we have God creating Adam. And then, you know, Adam, ladies, think about the most gorgeous guy you can think of. And if you're married, I hope you think of your husband. And Adam was more gorgeous than all of that put together. Then God puts him to sleep, does a bit of a rib job. And with that prime rib, he creates the most beautiful woman. No boob job, no Botox, beautiful. And they come together and Adam wakes up. That was the first blind date and he sees Eve and he goes oh bone of my bone flesh of my flesh the most beautiful girl I've ever seen he'd never seen another one and right there desire love is born you see the whole bible sings to the glory of that one man one woman marriage and good sex the old testament God talks of his people as himself as a bridegroom and the Israel, his people as his bride. And then we come to this wonderful eight chapters of erotic lovemaking, one man, one woman in a marriage situation. And that's the Song of Songs. And then we come to the New Testament and we hear Jesus when he's asked about divorce, pointing right back to Genesis 1 and 2, Matthew chapter 19, for those of you who are looking for references, I think verses like 4 to 6, where he says, haven't you heard in the beginning God created male and female? This is a beautiful complementarity of man, woman coming together. I'm an anatomist and a doctor and a sexologist, and I love genitals. You see, God created good things and the male female genital penis vagina made for each other beautifully complementary and so Jesus recognizes that and then in Ephesians 5 in Revelation 19 God values marriage of one man one woman he makes it a little microcosm model of his relationship Jesus and the church. So in Ephesians 5, in Revelation, when Jesus comes back, he comes for his bride. So you see through the Bible, one man, one woman, marriage and sex, that one flesh, naked, no shame relationship is treated as something wonderful, powerful and precious. Over to you. 
Yes, I'd love to invite Mia to ask a question just on behalf of all the single ladies. Ask a few questions. Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Belinda. And hi, Dr. Patricia. Um, as Pastor Belinda said, I have a question on behalf of all of the um, single ladies in the, the um, group tonight. So we would just like to know, um, how does a single woman keep herself pure in this culture um, and in this day and age when everything is so over-sexualized um, in our culture today? Thank you, Mia. That's a wonderful question. In fact, extremely important because for men and women today, all of us are living in this culture, what we call a post-truth, post-modern culture. One that says that you must live by whatever you desire. So whatever you've got to look into yourself Find your deepest desires and what you desire must be fulfilled. So when it comes to sex, it means that whatever I want to do sexually, whatever I feel like doing has to be lived out. Now, in this culture, as you rightly said, in this sexualized, and I would stretch that a bit and say, pornified culture where porn is almost a ubiquitous everywhere thing we are asking our young women and our young men to lead a life as Jesus as God says in the Bible of true purity now how is this even possible now let me say a couple of things here the first thing and in fact the most important thing for all of us, whether you're married or single, is to remember that in sexuality is an integral part of us. We are born, as I said, complementary, male, female. We are created, as it says in Genesis, in the image of God. So God says, let us make man in our image. When he says, let us make man in our image, the our, the Trinity is close together in a relationship. So we are all created for relationship. Now, marriage has a special place in this relationship, sexual intimacy in marriage. Now, there is so many other forms of intimacy in a culture that says if you love someone you must have sex with them the bible gives us a much more expansive and rich picture of intimacy and love and that's what we need to understand that true intimacy that knowing someone and being known by someone is possible and true rich relationship is possible without sexual intimacy because that's totally countercultural to the world view of saying intimacy equals intercourse equals sexual intimacy so to single women i would encourage uh, all of us, all of you, single women, to remember that relationship and intimacy, especially in friendship relationship, is extremely important. Sexual intimacy is nice, but not necessary. Now, I've been a doctor for about 50 years and a sexologist for about 45. And I like to say especially to young people, that I've seen people who've died of lack of medicine and healthcare and exposure. There is not one reported case of anyone dying by lack of sex. No one ever dies because they haven't had sex. Sex is nice, but not necessary. Completely countercultural to the world. So build friendships, have intimate relationships, but keep the sex for marriage. How do you do that at a practical way? We live in the sexualized, pornified culture. Build accountability relationship, women to women. 
build relationships where people can keep you accountable for your behavior. Secondly, don't be afraid to own up if you are struggling. It's okay. It's okay to grieve a good thing and sex is a good thing. So don't be anxious or ashamed to say, I'm struggling. So build friendships, build accountability partnerships. Don't be afraid to say you are grieving. But above everything, know that true joy and satisfaction can never be found in sex, never found in another person. Whether you're single or married, true satisfaction can only be found in that vertical relationship with Christ. And in keeping yourself from having sex, you sexual intimacy, you will show everyone else in the world that as a Christian, you don't need sex for satisfaction. Only thing that really gives you satisfaction is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that applies to marrieds and singles. Happy to take follow-up questions later. Thanks, Dr. Patricia. Um, I do have one more question on behalf of the single ladies. Um, the other question that we had, which we just wanted to ask your advice on, please, is for those of us who are in relationships but aren't yet married, what's your advice on setting boundaries in a, in a Christian relationship? Okay, very good question again. How far is too far? Wrong question. Firstly, the firstly is the important thing is to recognize that, okay, you're, you're going out together, you're dating, maybe you're even engaged, maybe you're planning your wedding right now in lockdown, that's all you can do, plan. And so maybe that's for the stage you are at. Whatever stage you are at, couple of practical things. First thing is to recognize that sex, as I said before, is nice, but not a necessity. So don't get too excited about it. If you think that, you know, just because you get married, you're going to have sex like forever, every time you want it, just ask your married friends. It ain't going to happen like that. So don't get too excited about the sexual intimacy bit. It will happen and it will be good, but it may take time. So don't get too excited. Secondly, the important thing is to remember that you know, 1 Corinthians 7, I think to 1 Corinthians 6, where it says your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. Your body is belongs to Jesus. Honor God with your body. Now, when you are in this close relationship with someone, you honor your body and you honor the body of your partner who's going to be your spouse. How do you honor a person? You honor a person by respecting that person. And true respect and honor means that you, you care for that person's body and you want to protect that person's body and quote unquote, the innocence for that time when you can before God truly enjoy every sensuality. So honoring, and that's a heart thing, the, the, how you honor the other person. But what about practical when you're together and you know, what do you do? How do you know the way you should say, that's it, we need to take a call shower and that is uh, to do that i want to tell you that about what we mean by the word sexual arousal now sexual arousal is when your body gets sexually excited and says whoa i'm so in love i'm so turned down if you want to use the word i'm so horny and i'm i want to just go on and have sex now that is for men actually very easy to recognize because guys got an inbuilt barometer that tells them they're aroused. It's called an erection. For us women, it ain't that easy. However, we know when we are aroused, you know, your brain says, oh, I'm so excited. And your down there says, oh, I'm all wet and tingly. At that point, that's your amber light that says, whoa, time to stop here. That's your boundary. So sometimes it can happen really early. 
And when you get that boundary of I am aroused, especially when you're in love and your you know, chemicals are going crazy, if you don't pull back, it's so easy to just go ahead and cross that boundary and get into that naked and no shame, naked touching and you know, sexual touching and oral sex and even intercourse. So listen to your body. So the heart thing is that you honor the other person. The practical thing is that you watch your arousal. And if you're getting aroused or you feel your partner's getting aroused, draw back. What other things can you do? Just the practical things of don't be too much alone together. Just be aware again, just like I said before, have people you are accountable to. But finally, you are accountable before God and you are accountable to the person who you plan to marry. So that would be my advice on how you protect yourself for that wonderful time when you're married and you can use every sensual, everything you got to enjoy each other's body. Thanks, Dr. Patricia. Um I have some questions on behalf of our young families. Um, my first question is, when should we talk to our kids about sex? So is there a certain age that we should talk to them about it or is it meant to be an ongoing conversation as they grow up? Okay, actually both. If there is a certain age that you should start talking and that is as soon as they start talking. It's never too early to start talking about sex. Now, I'm not saying that when your baby is saying its first word of mama or pup dada or something, you start saying, oh, let's talk about sex, baby. That's not, that's not exactly what I meant. What I mean is that start with making sure that your child, when they start learning body parts, know the right words for the particular parts of the body. Please, your daughter has a vagina and a vulva. Don't worry about the clitoris. Some of us haven't found it ourselves. But your son has penis and scrotum. Please don't use those cutesy words like, you know, front holes or, you know, bikis or I don't know, for a boy, a Dick, a Harry, a Willie, or I don't know, Kevin or whatever. Please don't use those words. Why is this so important? Very quickly. One, you know, children, the average age of porn exposure is 10 years and dropping. We hear preschool kids being exposed to pornography and your child, if they're exposed to pornography, needs the language, the words to tell you what is happening. Secondly, even very little children are being subject to inappropriate behavior. Child on child sexual abuse in primary schools are rising. And therefore, it is really important that they be able to come and tell you. There's another reason, and that is that if you start early and you start the conversation on body parts and body safety and just keep that conversation, all the secular research says that if you as parents and grandparents and aunties, responsible people, you started the conversation, the kids are far more comfortable and they actually put off having sex and put off risk taking. This is secular research. So the earlier you start, the better. And from there on, you can go on in the staged age appropriate manner. And we have a whole lot of books we've written to go with that. And if for anyone who's interested, you can visit my website, very easy website, patriciawirakun.com. But that's important. Now, the second part of your question, should it be an ongoing conversation? Yes, 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 please, yes. It's not this one birds and bees talk. Drip feed. Use every opportunity. We call it teachable moments. They're all around you. Ask them what's happening in school. Use that. Ask them about sexting and texting. Live their word. You need to take time to live the word of your children, especially as they get into pre-adolescence, puberty. Because today's world is a very confusing world for our children. 
especially with all this gender fluidity and thing going around. You need to be there to guide them through that. Next right. question. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Um, my second question is how do partners, married people, maintain a healthy sex life after having kids, especially when our lives are now so busy and we can often be really tired? <laughs> that's a huge question, because It's Christina, is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Christina, uh, that's a very important but also a good question. Now, how does anyone maintain a healthy sex life? Now, a couple of really important things. One is that what do we mean by a healthy sex life? Unfortunately, whatever age we are, we, we follow this, we sort of swallow, not more than follow, we swallow the world view that says that if I'm talking about being in love and if I'm talking about intimacy, it must mean intercourse. Now, that is wrong. A healthy sex life is the richness of intimacy and sensuality. What do I mean by that? There are many ways you can be intimate. Now, look, intimacy is what we are sharing now of a group of people and the kind of games you are playing. That's recreational, fun intimacy among friends. But as you go deeper, there is emotional intimacy. Now, a couple husband and wife, before the jumping into the bed and making the dive for the pelvis, need to be sure that you are emotionally connected. How do you do that? You do that by sharing your deeper feelings and emotions. Now, you're thinking, but we have children. Where do we have the time? You know what? You've got to make time. You make time for many other things. You've got to make time for each other. If that means carving out a time when you tell your parents, this is mommy and daddy time and getting into the room and just spending time talking, I emphasize talking, that is important. So build emotional intimacy. Then when it comes to physical intimacy and sexual intimacy, again, and this is really important, remember that sexual intimacy doesn't mean intercourse. What do I mean by that? In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul tells the people, the, Corinth, the Corinthians, men, your body belongs to your wife. Yield your body to your wife. Women, your body belongs to your husband. Yield. Now, there's two words there. Your body. Now, your body is everything, not just your genitals. So, as husband and wife, you need to recognize that sensuality, that whole body sensuality is important. So how do we keep it going after children or even without children is to remember that everything, every act of physical intimacy is in, in another way a sensual act. So sometimes I'm asked, how many times should we have sex? And I say, look, couples, you need to be having sex three times a day. And you're all going, what? What did she say? Yes, an early morning hug um, after work or afternoon good kiss on the cheek or the lips preferably, and a lovely hug before bed. You haven't had intercourse, but you've had sex three times. So even with children, you know, a hug in front of your kids, kissing at the kitchen sink, highly recommended. Your kids need to know that mom and dad love each other and aren't afraid to touch and hug. So sharing intimacy is important, physical. And when you get into bed and find the time to do that, tell your kids mom and dad need time, even in lockdown, give them something to do and go into your room and it look lock the door otherwise a little one might run in and that's okay if they run in it's not going to traumatize them for life to see mommy and daddy having sex in fact you might use it as a teachable moment not at that moment but it is a teachable moment but find the time to be together 
when you do that, and I know this is a long answer, but this is important to everyone who's married to under, or even planning to get married or hoping to get married and to understand that men and women are different. Most men are much more easily turned on than women. And so you kind of go there and you're taking your first button off and you've done all this work and you're ready for bed and he's up and ready to go. Get turned on much quicker. And it's important to talk because women take longer. It's like a bit like longer to warm up. We call that contextual, the context matters. So women can often go into sexual intimacy without even actually like in crazy desire hanging from the chandelier type thing. So remember that and talk to you. those of you who are married here, talk to your husband about it. That just because he's turned on, you want to have sex, but you're not kind of crazy turned on. But if you take time, this is where the sensuality comes in. If you take the time to stimulate whole body, 1 Corinthians 7, read it with your husband, yielding each your body to each other and that sharing of the body and all the senses that are involved, then the woman gets excited. Then she's ready for sex and you can have a really good sexual activity and encounter. Now, if the man doesn't understand that, by the time she's already, and yes, I'm all excited, he's done and dusted, turned around and gone to bed and fast asleep and snoring. So you need to talk. Now, again, if you need help there, we have a book called The Best Sex for Life. And that's a good book. Again, you can get it on my website. Talks you through all those sensuality exercises, whether you're with the ch children in the next room in lockdown or whether you're on your own. Now, just one more point, And that is that don't think that sexual intimacy must follow a particular path. Sometimes it's like you can have a you know, a drive-through hamburger type thing, you know, a quickie, and that's okay. And sometimes it's like this three-course gourmet meal, and that's okay too. So just play around and find out what's best, but make the time for each other and just know to accommodate and talk, talk, talk to each other. Emotional intimacy and sensuality, far more important than intercourse. That's my advice to every one of you marrieds. Well, I wish I could see all your ladies' faces right now, but you're probably glad I can't. <laughs> this has been thoroughly enjoyable thus far. I've got the last question, and then we're going to have some time for question and answers. So ladies, if you have something to ask that's not being covered with what we're talking about tonight, that will be your, your moment after I finish asking my question. So I was going to ask you about your book, The Best Sex for Life, and kind of along that line, but I've, I've been given the um, older generation topic to talk about. So I'm 65, been married for 46 years, same man. <laughs> and, you know, as we age, things change, your body changes, all kinds of things change, you go through health issues as well. And I think you touched on the, the topic of intimacy. Um, but could you elaborate a little bit more, uh, like 50 plus, going through menopause, the body changes, and just maintaining intimacy? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Kara, for asking that, because it's really important for all of us who are, you know, just that slightly older, mature men and women, as you can see with my gray hair, my 74 years old. Oh, I got my wedding picture there. We've been married 47 years. And the, the reality is that, yes, we talked about intimacy and that's very important to under, remember that intercourse may not happen the way you want to, but the intimacy remains important. So I'll park that one because we've already talked about it. But I just want to talk about the whole process of aging and to say that it is okay. You know, we remember, those of us who are older, a time when everything was tight and taut and in the right place where it should be. Now, there comes a time for everyone 
when gravity takes its toll and things kind of migrate to Melbourne. Now that's where it is so important for us to remember that when we get married, we take that vow to love each other till death do us part. And you know, that's a wonderful promise because it means that naked and no shame, this is from Genesis, when Jesus, when God created Adam and Eve, and it says they were naked and felt no shame. Nakedness is total vulnerability. No shame is that you have total trust in that person. Now that, as I said, when you're young and tight and taut, that's all wonderful. But remember, as you age and things are gravity challenged, still you see each other through the eyes of love, not through the eyes of lust. You see, lust says, how can I use you to get my hearts? Love says, I love you the way you are. And to me, you are the girl, you are the guy whom I met at the altar those 47 years ago. That is what love is. Love and commitment sees the person's inner sense. That's what love is and honors that person for who they are. They don't see the droopy bits and the wrinkles. They say through it. So when you are older, that's important. Now, what about some practical things? Now, there are no men with us, at least we hope not. But in general, we doctors and sexologists say that for men, after 40, about 40% 40 of men have erection problems 40% of the time. So if your husband yeah, isn't kind of getting it popping up as soon as he wants it, don't let it bother you too much. But just be aware that sometimes that not getting good directions can be an early sign of something like diabetes or prostate problems. And so just go see the doctor and get it checked up, but don't get too worried. For the more worried you are, the more concerned you show, and the more concerned he is, we call it performance anxiety, the more anxious he is, the less his penis will function. It's kind of what we call performance anxiety. So the important thing is for both of you to relax and just concentrate on, as I said, the whole body sensation. And that's for men. Now, for and for some men also, it can take longer to ejaculate, to come. Again, part of the aging process can be also tied in with things like diabetes. Another thing that can affect men is also medication. And so these are things you need to check with your doctor. Now, what about us girls? Now, apart from the fact that gravity challenges us, and that I really want to emphasize, and that is that, you know, we are created the way God meant us to be. Now, I'm 74. I cannot anyway look like I was in my 20s or 30s. I have to be accepting and loving of this droopy body that I have as the body that God has given me to enjoy with my spouse. Now, how can I do that while I'm all droopy? It's to remember that sensuality and loving and caring is not about you know, having the best body or having the best intercourse or having the best orgasm. But it's about caring and loving and asking, what would you like me to do? How would we enjoy each other today? Communication. So it's far more than intercourse. No? So that's how you see your body. Now, what about your genitals? Now, from as you reach menopause and after, the vagina gets thinner and sexual intercourse can be uncomfortable. Now, if it really bothers you, you need to talk to your doctor and get some vaginal cream or something like that. But for most of us, just using some lubricant. And by the way, saliva is a great lubricant. So if you use a lubricant, then you know, you might be able to have intercourse efficiently. Efficient is a bad word, but intercourse without too much of pain. However, 
still you must remember that there's so many other ways that you can enjoy sex, even if intercourse is not possible. So those are the important things. Firstly, be aware that the body changes. And yes, you may have had intercourse four times a week. And now your husband doesn't even get it up four times a week. And he's very excited when it's up. And so, you know, you just adapt around that. And your body, beautiful as it is, and intercourse is nice, but not necessary. But if you really enjoy it and you want it, go see your doctor, get a vaginal cream or use a lubricant that you get from the pharmacist and find change positions. Just enjoy whatever you got. That's the important thing. Enjoy the sensuality of being together with the man God has brought into your life. Any follow-up questions? Anything I'm happy to take. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You're doing so well. Thank you so much. And I bet everybody is having a great night. A great night. And I have actually put in the chat, ladies, we're going to have an open question time and we'll continue to leave cameras off and during this time so we can just see our interpreter. Um, I've got a few questions that have come through already, but if you would like, ladies, in the chat, you can privately message Belinda Barlow and then everybody won't see who the question's from. It'll all be um, all private. And um, I know that no question is too hard for Patricia. She's Nothing's going to scare this lady. <laughs> so um, first question, I'll just warm up. And, and um, the first question is, how do you handle arousal feelings when you have been married um, and you're now either widowed or divorced? This is a very, very interesting and very important issue because, you know, when you've been married, you know, our brains are what we call neuroplastic. In other words, they, they are wired in a way that when there's input, our brain wiring accepts it and kind of builds it into it. So if you never had sex, if you're a person who's never been married and never had regular sexual activity, your brain is set in a particular way. However, if you've been married and if you have had regular sex and then you divorced or you've lost your husband and you know, you're widowed or divorced, then your brain wiring is such that still you have those memories of arousal, like little video clips. Now, what do you do about that? The first thing is to recognize that it happens and don't, don't be ashamed and don't be guilty if you feel those feelings. So that's the first thing. Don't be, feel bad about the feelings. That's normal. But having feelings is one thing, but doing something about it is another. Now, the first thing I would say is that for those of you who are in that position, Find someone you can talk to and that communication, you know, to have a friend you can talk to and say, look, I'm really struggling with this and have that person help you in praying with you and talking to you. In other words, getting your mind off dwelling on those feelings is important. So talking to someone. The other one, other thing is to recognize that I'm feeling this way. How can I get those feelings turned around into doing something positive? So I'm feeling sexually aroused. I don't want to be masturbating all the time just to get that urge out and getting then you know masturbation whereas it's just touching your genitals you can't to masturbate without thinking lustful thoughts and the bible jesus was clear if you think lustful thoughts you might as well be having sex with someone i think it's matthew chapter five so masturbation whereas it's not a sin it's not a healthy practice so if you're feeling aroused instead of masturbating how can you turn it around and fantasizing about something? How can you turn it around? So try doing something healthy and exciting, usually something physical to replace those feelings of arousal. So have an accountability friend who can help you and find something that gets your mind off the arousal so that with time, 
the frequency and feelings will go, will, they may not go away, but there'll be more, there'll be in a way that you can deal with it. And those are some practical tips. The most important is find people you can talk to. Okay, any follow-up questions? Anything I'm happy to take. That's great. That's great. The next question is, what does the Bible say about oral, anal, masturbation, use of sex toys in marriage? <laughs> everything. Oh. What does the Bible say about everything? Okay. Well, the first question, one of that we can word it in a different way. Sometimes people ask me, is, what does the Bible, does the Bible say that once you're married, anything goes? And I say, look, it's, the Bible says that anything is okay, but we need to be sure that it is wise and it is honorable to us as a couple. Now, what does this mean? Just take you back to 1 Corinthians 6. Your body belongs to Jesus. Your body is the home of the Holy Spirit. Honor God with your body. Hold that thought in your mind. I give people a three-pointer. Firstly, is what I'm asking my partner to do, and I'll I'll park masturbation, <laughs> park masturbation. We just talked about masturbation. And I'll talk about couples activity. Because masturbation is a solo sex activity. I'm talking about couples. Three points. Firstly, is whatever this activity, is it physically or emotionally harmful to my partner and to myself? Is it physically or emotionally harmful? First point. Second point is... Is this honoring my partner, 1 Corinthians 7? Am I honoring my partner in asking my partner to do this? Third, is it building us up as a couple? So three points to go through. Is it physically or emotionally harmful? Is it honoring my partner? And is it building us up? Well, let me run through some of the things you asked. Oral sex. Now, oral sex is something that, you know, there are myths around it. Some people say it's so dirty, you know, oral sex. How can I put my mouth to his genitals? Well, let me tell you, ladies, you've got more bugs in your mouth than he has on his penis. So that's one myth out. So, but for some couples, for some women and some men, oral sex is uncomfortable. Now, to Ask your partner for oral sex. When your partner doesn't really feel comfortable with it, that is emotionally not a healthy thing to do. So if your partner, now let me assume that since you're all women, your husband says, I really want you to suck me off or whatever the word is, you know, give me a blowjob. Let's use the word. You know, if he was to say that and you're really feeling like, Rather than say, yuck, I don't want to do this. Why not turn it around and say, darling, I really don't feel like doing, giving you blowjob. But how about I give you a hug and a body massage? Or how about I tickle your scrotum and play around that way? Give an alternate activity that he goes, oh, okay, we haven't tried that one. Let's try that. So turn it around. So is it emotionally or physically harmful? Let's talk and honoring and building you up. Let's talk about anal sex. Now, anal sex, as a doctor and a sexologist, this is the one sexual practice that I say is not a healthy practice. The anus was made for things to come out, not to go in. And now I tell couples when they ask me, I say, look, God gave us such a wonderful playground in the front garden, complete with slippery <laughs> slides and everything. <laughs> Why would you want to go play in the back garden in the loo? So the reality is that it isn't healthy because even statistics tell us that um, there is a high rate of anal cancers and damage when you practice anal sex. So 
there are reasons. Sex toys, before I finish, you asked about sex toys. There's sex toys and there's sex toys. If as a couple, you find using a vibrator or a dildo or whatever you call it, part of your sex play, that's fine if you both, if you both like it and you find it playful and building your self up and be part of your sex play, that's okay. But just one proviso for ladies, talking, I didn't mention this about orgasm. Orgasm, you know, that fireworks over the harbor bridge kind of thing. There are only about 50% of women actually have that feeling due with the vagina, with the intercourse. And so don't get too excited. Don't get too upset if you always don't have orgasms or even if you, you know, never have an orgasm. It's not a Big deal, it's nice, but not necessary. Now, some women get a vibrator because with that intense stimulation, it's almost 100% sure you'll have an orgasm. Now, what's the problem there then? The problem is that if you get orgasms only by using a vibrator, you're never going to have an orgasm with your husband's penis or anyone's penis, even if you're not married, when you do get married. You know why? Because no penis is going to vibrate as fast as that vibrator. So you're setting yourself, you're wiring your brain for un, sort of a, 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 a performance that is absolutely impossible in real life. So run anything through those three pointers and you'll be happy. Honor each other in whatever you're asking. Okay, moving along, Belinda. Anything else? Yep, we've got some more questions. And I, I must say, it is now quarter to nine. So if there's ladies that want to leave, you go ahead and leave. But I'm sure most of you will want to hear the answers to these questions. And I'll keep them at quickies. Let's go. <laughs> and I, I have talked with Dr. Patricia and she has said she would love to answer questions. So if people need to go, she said they can go and she's happy to stay on and answer questions. So thank you so much, Dr. Patricia. And uh, we've got a few questions here to ask. So I'll just move on with the questions. Um, okay. This next question. Um, uh, recommendations of how a person from a history of sexual trauma can move forward towards a potential marriage relationship. Very important question in today's culture because your early experiences of growing up build into your brain and they affect your desire patterns. They affect how you respond sexually. So it's extremely important. How do you get over it? Obvious thing as Christians is prayer and support from some Christian, especially an older Christian sister who is pray, who can pray with you and walk with you through the grief of what you are feeling. That's important. However, it is extremely important that you also have some professional counseling to work through that trauma. Otherwise, you go into a relationship, it's a bit like going into a relationship with a you know, backpack full of rocks. And you have to experience that taking out each rock, looking at it and throwing it away before you can get into a proper rich relationship. Yes, God heals and we claim it, but God creates, God gives us counselors and therapists. Use that too. And you will heal, but it will take time. And when you do get into a relationship, I would recommend that this is something you need to be able to share with your partner because he needs to walk with you in helping you to heal physically intimacy, to open yourself in that other focus, naked, no shame. Remember nakedness, vulnerability, no shame, trust. And in that situation, when you're carrying that scars of trauma, isn't easy. So be aware that a man who you're going to spend your life with should be a man you can trust to understand that pain that you're carrying. Don't hide it. Hiding it will only make it harder burden for you to bear. Question. Um, I, I want to have sex less often than my husband wants to. I feel like I am the one with the issue. Like if I was a better wife, I would want to have sex more. How do you settle that in yourself? 
Yeah, what we call desired discrepancy is one of the most common concern between couples. The first thing to recognize is that is common. It's common. Now, and the second thing is, remember what I talked about the sexual response cycle. Now, I just go over that very briefly because it is something as a couple that you need to understand. In general, and I'm generalizing here, and this question meets this generalization, men are turned on much more easily. Women go into sex often sexually neutral, or in other words, kind of not crazy with desire. And the person who asked this question is probably like that. But the first thing to recognize that it is okay to go into sexual intimacy without feeling desire. It is okay because you're going into it because you love your husband and you know you want to have sexual intimacy with him. So it is okay to go into sexual intimacy because as you go into it and as you, and here's the important point, and this is something you need to talk to your husband about. You need to talk to him and say, you know, this is the way I am, that I just take longer and I need for us to spend time just helping each other settle, stimulating each other, each other, not just you stimulating me, but us stimulating each other and enjoying each other's body. And then most times you would get excited and turned on by that. And then you can go on to have sexual intercourse if you so wish. Now, that's the first thing that don't be afraid to go into the intimacy without feeling that crazy desire. The second thing is for you to communicate and talk to your husband about the fact that not all intimacy is intercourse. Now, in many men's mind, it's like every erotic arrow points there to the penis. And every intimacy is intercourse. Now, that is important for us to understand that you need to talk to your husband and say, look, let's be whole body, sensual and enjoy each other rather then always have the dive for the pelvis type intercourse. And let me assure you that he will enjoy it too. In our book, The Best Sex for Life, there's a whole appendix of sensuality activities. I would recommend that you get a copy of the book and read it together. And both of you can then enjoy whole body intimacy rather than you know, just only intercourse, because often your low desire is tied in with the fact that you think every time he touches me, all he wants is intercourse. But if you can get to that point, when both of you are saying, let's really enjoy being together, rather than necessarily thinking intercourse, then you will both enjoy the sensuality. That needs communication. Don't be afraid to tell your husband, we need to talk. And you know what? If you do need, it's no, it's no shame to say we need to talk to a sex therapist. And I don't do therapy anymore, but if you want to contact me, I'm happy to send you the name for some really good therapist you can see. Thank you. The next question was, um, your, this was the original question before you left, your yeah. child goes to a friend's place and they get exposed to pornography. How should a parent handle that? This is an extremely important point and the whole pornography thing because porn today is ubiquitous and it may be in a friend's place, it may be in the playground, your child, I mean, I would say that it's almost 100% sure that your child will be exposed to pornography. So we might as well be ready for it. Two things. The first thing is you need to get your child ready for the fact that they're going to see porn. How do we do that? For really little ones, and yes, little ones, I'm talking primary school. You need to get your primary schoolers ready to meet this challenge of having been exposed to porn. How do you do that? 
I tell people, teach your children three things. Firstly, they need to be able to recognize what pornography is, age appropriate. With kids going to primary school, all they need to know is that if somebody shows you a picture of people naked or doing something it makes you go, ew. In our book, The Birds and Bees by the book, we say makes you go wriggly and giggly. In other words, this is not nice. Your body says that. Even children's bodies react to sexual stimuli. And so if you feel that this is not nice, the first thing, recognize it and say, no, I don't want this. So say no. The second thing is go away run away. Don't stay there because natural curiosity, even in children, makes them want to continue watching. So say no, go away. And third and very important, talk to someone about it because that gets into their brain and they need to debrief to get those thoughts out of their brain. Very important. So say no, run away and talk to someone. This is getting them ready. What if they've already seen it? The first thing is to, if you, especially if your child tells you, and probably that's how you find out, is to say, thank you for telling me. Do not freak. Do not go, you saw what? Do not freak. That is bad. Thank your child and say, thank you for coming and telling me this. Secondly, tell them, make sure that your child understands you are not a bad person for having seen this. It's whoever showed it to you that is in the wrong, or in fact, whoever made it, these bad pictures, that is in the wrong. You are not bad. You're not a sinner. You're not in some ways bad person or bad child for having seen it. So thank them and assure them that it's not their fault. Then debrief, talk to them. What did you see? How did you feel? Now let's talk about why this is not good. Use that as a teaching moment to point to the fact that God has a good story for sex and pornography twists it into something bad. So use it as an opportunity to talk to the child about the goodness of sex. Now, in our book, it for primary schoolers called Birds and Bees by the book, we have one book. This is for primary school for you to read called Understanding Pornography, because it's so important that even at that age, we introduce the child to recognize and say, this is not good. But through the ages, pre-puberty, teenage, it's just as important. Very good. And what if um, they were touched and they came home and said somebody touched me inappropriately? What's, what's the way to handle it? Yeah. The first thing is, of course, that is becomes also can become a legal issue. So you need to deal with it also in terms of finding out where did it happen? Who did it? So that's if it's already happened, it can become a child abuse legal issue and you need to follow the legal channels. But that being done, you need to again assure your child that thank you for coming and telling me it is never your fault, never your fault that this happened. Because a child can, if they even feel that you are uncomfortable, they will never tell you again. They'll never talk to you again. So it's very important to say, I'm really sorry this happened to you. It is not your fault and let's talk about how you felt about it and how I can support you through it. And be ready, even if you feel like crying, it's okay to grieve with your child that this has happened. It's okay to do it. But the important thing is to support your child and follow up whatever legal channels, because that is child abuse. That's good, thank you. Um, I've got a question here. Um, it will be our last question, and it's about um, how to speak to our children about same-sex relationships, transgender. I love that. The last question. Can we have another hour on that, please? Okay. The reality is that today we live in a, 
we live in a gender fluid world and your children are going to be exposed to same sex attracted or bisexual or gender fluid or maybe a child in the class who has two mummies or two daddies or maybe even even the family you've got somebody who's same sex attracted gay lesbian maybe so that's really important now the transgender issue is tied in with gender identity and that is that your feeling as to male or female isn't in keeping with what your biology god's created body says you are now it's always been a few people that way and i've worked with them when i was in hawaii but now it's like a, a pandemic like there's so many people coming out and children it's a whole big issue this gender issue and if you want to you know that's really another whole talk but the reality is that for you and for your children couple of important points here firstly know what god's word says in the beginning god created man male and female he created them that's very important that we hold on to that male and female he created them clearly binary in body and in brain now there have always been in our fallen world small proportion where things don't work the way god created so both for us and for our children the important thing is compassion and love towards those who are different while still standing clearly on the conviction of god's good word man male and female he created them and male and female coming together for sex is in that beautiful relationship of marriage one man one woman committed in a covenant relationship for life and that is the message we need to be teaching our children but we underpin it by saying compassion and love for those who are different nobody ever was taken into the kingdom of god by another person by you know judging them and getting you know judgmental and saying you're a sinner no people are loved into the kingdom and what you can do for your transgender friend your trans friend or your same sex gay lesbian friend is to be a friend and love them and share the love of god and love them into the kingdom sharing the gospel and your life with them that's the way you can point them to the one true life that we find with our lord jesus christ i love that thank you so much and i just love your passion for jesus your love for the gospel and just to finish off tonight would you pray for our ladies would you pray thank over you. them thank, thank you. you thank you and before i uh, before i do that i do apologize for dropping out i have no idea why my computer decided to go on a blink I guess it's old age like me but never mind. So forgive me for that but that gave you a breather with all that sex you know to just calm down. That's why I actually did it. Anyway, let's pray ladies. Father God, we just come before you as your children, as your daughters, as sisters to your son. Father, we come before you and we stand before you empowered by the spirit, knowing that we are yours. Father we live in a broken world. We live in a world where the sex the gift this powerful and beautiful gift that you have given us has been twisted by the desires of this world by pornography by abuse by relational problems even in marriages in Christian marriages. And Father we bring these before you. for every woman here for every girl for every family for every relationship represented here father we come to you in the rawness of our emotion and we lay our burdens at the foot of the cross whether they be sexual or otherwise 
we lay them at the foot of the cross, knowing that you are a father who has a heart of compassion and love. And we pick them up and we find that there is no burden anymore because we've given them over to you. Father, we pray for every woman here. We pray that for the families they represent. And Father, we pray that you will go with every single person here today. Give them that richness of knowing that they are special. They are special because they are special to you. They are special because they belong to you. And Father, we just place this every girl here in woman in your hands that they may leave here refreshed knowing that in you they can have a good life they can find true joy true satisfaction and if it so be they can also have the best sex for life we ask all this in the name of our lord jesus christ and by the power of the holy spirit Amen. 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 Well, I want to say a big thank you for myself and I, on behalf of all the other ladies on the screen, they'll probably be waving at you or giving you hand claps or hearts or whatever. It's been yeah, waving. I'll wave back. Yeah, there we get some hands. <laughs> and I think everyone found something here tonight that uh, applied to their lives. And so I, I really feel like we've been so enriched having this time to, together tonight and Dr. Patricia, I think you're going to have your book sales go up at least <laughs> by 112 <laughs> that we're here tonight. And I want to say thank you to Belinda and Sonia and Kim and others that helped put the evening together and our interpreters. We can give them some hallelujah hands <laughs> saying thank you. So I'll just, we'll, with that, we'll leave it ladies and you're free to go now and we'll all be leaving the room. So thank you for coming. And I just pray to be blessed. Thank Good you. Night. Good night. Good night. Thank you very much. <laughs>